Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, always talking trending wine topics with you and with my co-host, Mark. How are you this week, Mark? Everything's great, Kim. How are you? I am well. And we have a special guest with us this week. We have David Glancy, who runs and owns the San Francisco Wine School on the uh, on the other side of the country. And David has all sorts of wonderful wine letters after his name, including Master Sommelier and certified wine educator and a whole bunch of other things. And we absolutely love speaking to other wine educators because that is one of the things that we have the most passion about. So it's really wonderful to talk to somebody from the other coast. How are you today, David? I'm good. Thanks so much for uh, having me on and uh, letting the West Side represent. Yeah. Uh, Fun to be here and join you too. So we have a lot in common with David. We work with his wine school through our wine school, Commonwealth Wine School in, uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And Mark is actually a former student from one of David's programs. David, welcome to the show. It's always been an honor for me to have taken your classes and finally to meet you and talk. And uh, hopefully our listeners will get uh, to know you a lot better after this. All right. Yeah. Looking forward to chatting. So your wine. wine. Yeah. So much wine. So your wine school has been in operation since... 2011, I believe I read on your website. Yes, indeed. We have passed the 12-year mark. We celebrated that at our uh, anniversary event uh, back in early November. A long and winding road, Mm. but but we're still standing. Can you give our listeners a little bit of information about your background, how you got into wine, what makes it special for you, and then ultimately why you started up a wine school? Sure. I I don't know how quick a version I can do, but I started (laughs) restaurants. It's a loaded question. (laughs) Yeah, really. I like to start with, I was born a small black child, um, but you know that only works for people who watched Steve Martin back in the 70s. So I grew up on the East Coast, actually, in Washington, D.C., and started in restaurants at age 15. Knew straight away that's what I wanted to do, but bobbed and weaved a bit, rolling through independent restaurants in the kitchen, then hotel restaurants in the kitchen, then hotels in the rooms division, front desk management, back into food and beverage, back out of hotels, into independent restaurants in the front of the house. Did that for many years through these various roles in hospitality. My last hotel gig, I was the opening restaurant manager, opening a new restaurant in Macau, China for the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group. Came back to the U.S. and was managing restaurants. And my very last job in restaurants, I was general manager of a large, successful French bistro that is still running. They have celebrated their 20th year. Uh, Mm. I opened Left Bank in Menlo Park. And in 99, I started a wine consulting business. The idea for that was that I had trouble delegating the wine program to uh, assistant managers. Uh, They just didn't take it on as fully as they should have. So I was consulting to restaurants, but also doing staff training, doing consumer classes, doing corporate events. And while I was doing that, I was recruited to teach at the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco. 
I needed more credentials to help elevate my game, make me more marketable, make me more knowledgeable. And while I was at CCA, uh, which was part of Le Cordon Bleu, I passed the Society of Wine Educators CWE exam. And then six months later, I passed the Master Sommelier exam. They loved having me on to do that, but that caused me to get recruited to open a sommelier <laughs> school for someone else at a school that's no longer in business, but it was the Professional Culinary Institute. And uh, that was in the San Jose area. I ran that for five years. And during that process, uh, I realized there were some warning signs and I decided I was going to step on my own and create a wine school that addressed some of the shortcomings in that school. And so that was it. 2011 launched San Francisco Wine School. It's been no turning back and mm. no rest. <laughs> yeah. Every time we talk to people who are in the wine industry or in the hospitality industry, you know, we, we have this common theme that we see over and over and over again of sort of this winding path of, yes. of one's career. And I always get asked the question, you know, how did you get into wine? And it's like all of our stories are so different. And <laughs> it's always so fascinating to me that we can be doing so many of the same things that we love, but get there in such completely different ways. Absolutely. And, and it's fun. Because uh, one thing that I'm sure you've heard something like this, but it's sort of the worst thing to ask an educator, how can I do what you've done yeah. but in half the time? <laughs> So like you got to get dirty. <laughs> yeah, it dismisses the journey. I like to say, I, I don't know what it is, a, a helix, whatever, this wandering DNA chain looking <laughs> thing is actually a stronger structure than a straight line. I like that answer. David, I like how casual you are just saying, and then I did the master saw, and, and then I did the certified wine. What you did is, is amazing. I think the listeners need to know or hear some numbers to people like yourself. So there's only how many a master sommeliers? Two less than three hundred in the world. Yeah, yeah. Today there are two hundred and seventy-three, and I was one sixty-eight. So the the master exam is you know the fourth level in the court of master sommeliers. There's intro, certified, advanced, and master. The master exam has been going on once a year in Europe since nineteen sixty-nine, and then once a year in the U.S. since nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, with all those exams to end up at two seventy-three today is a pretty small number. The pass rate is around. Three percent, wow. but it's it's really hard to lock that down. There are something like eighteen or so. I don't know the exact number. I should who have passed it on their first try. They call that the Krug Cup. And actually, there's something associated that is not an official thing called the Schlitz Cup. If <laughs> you pass it all in the in one year, but so did someone else, and you didn't score as highly. Wow. Uh, so I I only know one person who's gotten the Schlitz Cup. But um, that's just a way to make fun of them. And to uh, have both the master song and a certified wine educator, how many people have that in the world? Yeah, I'm not one of the Krug Cups. I did not pass in my first try. But master sommelier and certified wine educator, that combo, there are only 12 in the world. There is something better. Master sommelier, master of wine, there are only four who have ever done that and only three of whom are alive. But uh, that is not in my immediate future. That is... I'll, I'll settle for the one in 12 club for now. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, the master psalm exam, my first crack at it, I um, apparently was lulled to sleep by passing the advanced on my first try, mm. which I didn't know was extremely rare. But then let's see, is this a, a rated G show? I got my ass handed to me uh, <laughs> the first time I took the MS exam. Super hard to go back for day two of the exam. I was just embarrassed. I was devastated by how poorly I'd performed on day two. But I did manage to go back for day one and it was a little bit better, but still pretty crappy. Uh, and the third day was slightly better than that. And then I studied my ass off for the next year and went from a low fail on theory to a high pass, but that's all I got. But I I did better on service and tasting. So there was light, there was hope. And then the next year I knocked the two out at once. So third Good go. For you. So for our listeners who don't know, you mentioned the Master Sommelier program, you mentioned the Master of Wine program. These are certifications of the highest level for wine, but they do have very different focus points, whereas the Master of Wine is a little bit more, I guess you could say academic. The SOM program really has so much to do with service. So it really is geared more towards people who are in that part of the industry. You know, if you're working in restaurants or you're working in hospitality. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why there isn't that much overlap, not only because they're just both so incredibly hard, but they really do have this professional focus as well. And I, I hear this all the time when I talk to people who are MSs and MWs, but I, I certainly wouldn't want to do both. <laughs> I would say that the MS is much harder and much more prestigious than the MW, but I'd be a bald-faced liar. They, <laughs> they are different, different. but equal mm -hmm. in, in my estimation. Master Sommelier attracts more extroverts, people who are talking, selling wine and beer and spirits on the floor of a restaurant, thinking on their feet, moving on their feet, speed and calm under pressure. Uh, Master of Wine, you've got to be an excellent essay writer, that's for sure. You've got to know the global wine marketplace, including the two buck chucks and equivalents around the world. Mm -hmm. you got to know commercial wine industry. It's just a, and all most typically they would be more introverts and more academic, as you said. Master sommeliers don't need to write anything except a restaurant wine list that doesn't have errors and is priced for profit. That's really it. I like your way of explaining it. That's great. David, Kim and I always have this saying that the, the wine world is so small. It's a huge world, but the, the group and people knowing everybody in the, the wine world, is it's amazing how people connect. And we had talked that uh, you had opened in 2011, I believe you said this, the wine school. Yeah. So in 2013, and that's how Kim and I met, we were taking all sorts of certification classes. And then I saw your California Wine Appalachian Specialist class, which you still do. But I was saying to Kim earlier that I felt in 2013, when you did that online, it was really a trendsetter for classes in the wine world because being as a retailer, I needed that type of education where I could do it on my own pace online. And I thought your school was one of the first, other than, say, the Wine Scholar Guild, to offer things like that. And I really appreciated all you did for that. Yeah, thank you. I know it was back in the first year, the end of the first year in business in 2011, that one of our instructors at the time presented the idea that 
there was no one doing a California educational program. There was no one doing a California credential exam anywhere in the industry. And I dug into that through the googly research and found there was absolutely no one. And then I did all the writing of the program and launched it and there's been no turning back. It has been quite successful to the point now that uh, I think it was six years ago, Southern Wine and Spirits, the largest distributor in the country, started using the program for their Northern California sales staff. Last year, they rolled it out to Southern California, then they rolled it out nationwide. So that's really exciting, especially since Southern is bigger now that they are Southern Glazers. They uh, really committed to uh, the education of their sales force. And uh, it's been really fun seeing how many people through their organization we've put through the program. And that must be really gratifying for you for a program that you created because your school does different programs, some of them that have been created by other organizations and then a lot of your very own content. So you do have this nice balance of the classes that you offer and the certifications that you offer of either things that you have done yourself or other programs that people can get involved with for professional certifications. Thank you for that. I mean, we've got a lot of different models. I mean, when I started the school, it was just Wine Scholar Guild's French Wine Scholar. Um, <laughs> basically, it was yeah, for a quick launch. And there was a lot of impetus for starting the school mm-hmm. that, you know, if you want the dirty laundry. So uh, while I was at Professional Culinary Institute, I was actually opening an ill-fated school for them in Florida before I went back to shut it down. But while I was on my last trip, I got news that the CEO of Professional Color Institute was a fugitive from justice and he had gone on the run. Oh, wow. I ended up doing some jail time. (gasps) But then a white knight came in to rescue the school from themselves. Uh, French Culinary Institute in New York bought the school, rebranded it, and then the California location ended up going out of business. And then another company, ICE, came in and bought them. Anyway, that's their evolution. But I knew I wanted to start a new school, one that was not just about sommeliers, was all relevant credentials under one roof. Mm-hmm. And I was approached by the Wine Scholar Guild, and they said, we are terminating our APP, Approved Program Provider, in San Francisco. It's yours if you want it. You just have to pass the test. And so I said, I'll take it. And they connected me with two instructors who already had the credential. And so I started the school with them teaching while I filed LLC documents, built a website, and quickly spent a couple weeks studying for the French wine scholar exam and then passed it. So that was it. And then created a sommelier program and then the California program and then Society of Wine Educators uh, CSW program. It's their book and their test, but there's not an approved program. There aren't slides. So you have to build your own. Right. And it just went back and forth that I was adding other third party credentials, adding collaborations, and then writing my own when there were gaps. But I've ended up writing, I can't remember, uh, this, the number seems to change, but um, my partner says that I've written 15 credential programs now. I don't know. It's a lot, but I did. French Wine Scholar, that program, as you said, Mark, it was the only thing really out there like that. It greatly influenced how I built the California program. That was the first certification that Mark and I did together. (laughs) 
<laughs> it seems like a really long time ago now. Yeah, but I think we took what seven weeks of class, was, and he took it was two weeks. weeks yeah, to, yeah, you... took two. <laughs> yeah, you sort of just threw yourself into it, and we had we had food, and we had <laughs> kind of a a more uh, relaxed environment, I think, for us to learn it. Yeah, mine wasn't about fun; it was about getting the damn thing done. And it was a great program, and I loved teaching it. And since Wine Scholar Guild added Italian Wine Scholar, Spanish Wine Scholar, Italian Wine Essentials, and now they're about to add Spanish Wine Essentials mm -hmm. and French Wine Essentials, we offer all of those. Love, love, love working with Wine Scholar Guild. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, you can find her at CommonwealthWineSchool.com. For more information about myself, you can go to FranklinLiquors.com. For more information about today's guest, David Glancy, you can go to SanFranciscoWineSchool.com. We are a program that is supported by Franklin Public Radio. You can find all our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We're talking with David Glancy of the San Francisco Wine School. And David, I just want to follow up. You were talking about the Wine Scholar Guild and all the programs they run, and Kim and I and have gone through them all. I have to ask you, what do you think about these specific classes that focus on one region? Good thing for wine education, or do uh, you want to see more of that? I, I know you said there's expansions coming in, in most of those. What's your thoughts on them? Yeah, I love global wine education programs like WSCT, Wine Spirit Education Trust, and the Credentials MSMW that we talked about, and Society Wine Educators, CSW and CWE. Love the global programs, but I think niche programs, very specialized programs are also really, really helpful because not everyone wants to know everything or they feel like they're strong in one area, but not strong in another. So that is part of the idea of our school, San Francisco Wine School. School, all relevant credentials under one roof, modularized education that you don't have to spend 10 grand and take classes you don't want to take. You just take the ones you do. So Wine Scholar Guild is helpful to us in delivering that niche education. In addition to the ones I mentioned, they've also got their master programs and we've done some of them occasionally. They've got so many programs and we've got so many programs, it's hard to schedule everything in. But I've done their Champagne Master, which I thought was excellent. Burgundy Master. I don't even remember how many they have. I keep bugging them to do uh, an Italian wine, a more in-depth, like region by region specific, like they do Champagne and Burgundy. I think in Italy, they can break it down so much more as well. So I keep begging them for that. I keep bugging them like I bug you, David, for more classes. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I do think, I mean, if nothing else, uh, Piemonte and Toscana, if they did master programs on those that could be interesting or even more specific to just do Barolo and Barbaresco, just really dive into those two, the most popular ones. And we've created more niche programs as well, following the model of California Wine Appalachian Specialist. We've got Northwest Wine Appalachian Specialist. So it doesn't roll off the tongue as well because we say we have Quass, but we have Quass and we have Noas. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not as good. It works. It works. Yeah, we've got wine program management, tasting room wine sales and service, restaurant wine sales and service. We've got a lot of stuff 
that is very focused. Intermediate blind tasting program, that one's coming up very soon, actually. Advanced blind tasting program, blind tasting wine grapes of the world, blind tasting wine styles of the world. I don't know. I can't remember everything. Mm -hmm. It's nice that you have this spin on your classes. So many of them are focused on, it's almost like career training for people who are in hospitality or in restaurants and teaching them the skills that will make them better at their jobs in addition to kind of, you know, what we consider the fun wine stuff. So that's something that I feel like is unique to your school that you don't see in too many other places where you've got this like professional development for people who are in restaurants and hospitality. Yeah. And we do a lot of trade events as well. The mm -hmm. trade associations come in and sponsor it. So it ends up being free for the trade. So we've got a um, list. Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but basically approved trade list. And they get notified every time something's come out and they don't have to go through the approval process because we've already approved them in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's popular with people. But we're about 50-50 consumer and trade now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's It's been interesting how that has evolved. Yeah. Yeah, we are and, too, actually. So <laughs> it's probably a good balance to be at where you've got a little bit for the trade, but then you also have this robust program for people who are just interested in learning about wine. And, uh, and you know, like, like Mark mentioned at, back at the beginning of the show, he found you because you do these hybrid programs where he can be here in Massachusetts and you're out there in California, but he can still participate and still do the program. So that's really, I feel like something that makes your school have value too, is that you can do it from wherever. Yeah. And that's changed with the pandemic, which, you know, is its own kettle of fish. I, what almost killed us made us stronger, I guess, Nietzsche, but looking at it, when Mark did it, it was in a learning management system, an LMS sort of self-paced, but they're online assignments and you've got cohorts in the class that you're communicating with. And we've done that with two of our programs, CWAS and CSW. But with the pandemic at that point, we were about 5% online and we've got a 4,000 square foot education center here near San Francisco airport. And we were shut down. We couldn't occupy our space. Yeah. So we went to pure online like everyone else did. And we tried go to meeting for one week and then switched to zoom. We started with the classes were discounted and we provided wine lists and people would buy their own wine or do it without wine. And then we started partnering with wine.com and found that every state had a different inventory. Yep. And so that became super hard and, and half bottles harder to find that are representative. And we figured out how to rebottle into two ounce bottles and ship them all over the US and do it in a way that preserved the wine and was legal even after agencies started stopped looking the other way. You know, during the, the lockdown was sort of free for all, anything goes, but to do it legally so that we could keep doing it afterwards, that's been our big thing that we rebottle into two ounce bottles and we ship to 43 states. So just about everywhere in the U.S. as is getting wine kits from us. See, when you put it like that, it's amazing that any of us were able to do that pivot. <laughs> we're able to make our businesses survive through it and get out the other side and uh, learn from it and do all of these different things after the pandemic. 
Because we had to deal with a lot of the same problems. Yeah, we changed bottle vendors. We went through about 10 different bottle vendors. Wow. There were crazy shortages all of a sudden, and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to order 10 cases of bottles through Amazon, not the best price, and showing four weeks for delivery. I change it to five cases. It's still four weeks. I change it to two cases. It's two days. And so then I'm using multiple people's accounts and doing all of these two case orders and getting it delivered to different addresses. And then, oh, the things we had to do, huh? (laughs) Oh, oh, it it nearly killed us. But then coming back in person, there were a lot of people who didn't want to come back in person. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't stop the online. Plus, we suddenly had reached a global market. So we do have international students, but they're not getting wine. We can't ship to them. Became such a big part of the business. And then trying to teach the same class to people in the room and online, tried doing that through a laptop. And one of our most loyal students bailed out of class 10 minutes into the class. And so I said, okay, this isn't going to work. We need AV. And we did disaster relief loan. We borrowed everything we could to build out two Zoom hybrid studio classrooms. And it was just nuts and changing box vendors, changing who we shipped through and getting licenses for more and more states to ship to. Yeah, it's changing COVID policies every two weeks. (laughs) It was nuts. Yeah, you adapted so well. Do you feel, David, that COVID changed the whole wine education world and thinking out there? That people before who said, geez, I have to travel here to take that class or now I can just do it online. Did it change that number that you were saying with the percentage of online versus in person? Oh, yeah. We've gone from 5% online to 100% online to 50% online. That's about what we're doing. And it's not just us. You know, you're right. People go, I, I shouldn't have to travel for this. And, and some programs, the credentialing body will set up geographical exclusivity for an approved provider. And there's limitations there. And it might be that you can do it online with anybody, but you're going to have to fly to that provider for the exam. There are still limitations, but the quartermaster sommeliers did the same thing, doing more more and more online. There's more and more providers like Commonwealth Wine School doing WSET online. You know, it has changed expectations. And one of the things early on, we thought, okay, well, all of these restaurant workers are out of work. When lockdown ends in a few weeks, okay, when lockdown ends, they're going to want to come back with a competitive advantage. They're going to want to take credential programs, but none of them could afford it. And so it also caused us at that point to create a separate foundation, the Glancy Wine Education Foundation, a totally separate entity, 501c3, not-for-profit. And basically they raise funds for scholarships and issue scholarships to people with financial need or from under underrepresented communities. That's the only way we were getting trade at that point. But consumers who hadn't been coming to us suddenly were coming to us in droves. Some of them want in person, some of them want online. They love the flexibility of I'm coming in person next week, but the week after that, I'm on a trip. So bottle for me and I'm going to take the bottles on my trip and do it for my hotel room. But the next week I can't make it all. So I'll watch the recording. So it has made our business so much more complicated, but the market's demanding it. 
How's that for a long answer? It was a no, good I, one. I never thought of the, that the people in the trade, they didn't have the money to take the classes because they weren't working during COVID. Yeah. So I, I never even thought of that. So yeah. that was something new to me. The Glancy Wine Education Foundation has issued, I think it's over $200,000 in scholarships now. Nice. That's great. And I have to ask you, I want to get back early on. You mentioned you're starting in the restaurant industry, hotel industry. I saw something online. I have to ask you if it was true. I saw that you served Muhammad Ali. Is that a true story? That is absolutely true. So I was restaurant manager at Mezzaluna in the Mandarin Oriental Macau. And there was a big boxing thing and he was, you know, special VIP. IP appearance and he came in and dined in the restaurant and you know, goodness he and his wife were there and certainly there were lots of other people around but the, just the two of them dined and I'm being ultra professional and not letting people hover around him just giving the service and keeping a very clear line and then he wasn't speaking at this point he could barely speak at this point but he gestured to a cameraman and gestured to me that he wanted to take a picture with me and i was just you know my heart was beaten out of my chest and then he's putting up his fists (laughs) he's doing the thing yeah (laughs) but he's got a rascal look in his eyes and i'm just saying to him please don't hit me (laughs) because it's His hands were so big. It's just, you know, I'm a below average height guy, but it's like his hands seem like they were twice the size of mine. Uh, You know, and he's only, I I don't know how tall, uh, you know, 6'1", 6'2". Not by standards of today's basketball players, you know, he's a boxer, not basketball, but he's not that tall, but taller than me and just those hands. But it's a treasured photo still up in my living room. Did he drink wine? He did not. He did not. His wife did a little bit, but he did not. Wow. Great story. Mm. Yeah. And, th- you know, that that's the thing in restaurants. There's lots of people you meet. Yeah, that's my highlight, though. One of the other things Kim and I always try to give tips and our two cents on, David, is buying and purchasing wine. And I have to ask you if you could give our listeners, like, what is your biggest wine tip for people when they're buying wine? What is something you recommend? Absolute number one tip every time, ask for help. Whether you're in retail or restaurant, no matter how much you know, the person in the shop or in the restaurant knows what they have better than you do. All right, that's not always true, but you can figure it out very quickly if they're just showing you what they've got an end cap in the store in or what's on promotion. But if you go to a great restaurant or great wine shop, they're going to love to talk about. Uh, They're going to love to to get you into something that works for you. There are exceptions. Okay, at Total Wine, they are incentivized to sell their direct import wines, their private label wines, but still they have got good stuff, but you're probably not getting any help. I'm talking about independent shops. The other thing would be, you know, learn what you like. And while you're doing that, try to continuously expand what you like, what you're exposed to. And you can go into a wine shop or retail and say, I like this grape, or I like this region, or I like this producer, or I like this style, and give them a price range and see what they can come back. Is it hard for you to shop for wine with all your knowledge in the wine world? I'm asking because I feel like the geekier we are, the more we know about wine, the more picky we are to shop for wine. Is it 
hard for you? Uh, no, I don't find it hard. I find it fun. I mean, if I can get frustrated by lousy wine selections, but no, I don't find it particularly hard. And the way I might approach it, I mean, I, I might go into a restaurant and, and say, you know what, I feel like starting off with some bubbles, glass or bottle, I haven't decided. Tonight, I want to keep it under 120 a bottle and sell me something great that you think I might not have had. Surprise me, expand my horizons. Or, you know, look, I'm having this duck on the menu. It's sort of a natural to me to either go Pinot or Riesling. This preparation sounds more like a Pinot preparation. Do you agree with that? If so, what Pinot's on your list or similar styles would you think would go with this dish? Or what do you think is best with this dish? I love when someone can honestly and passionately talk about the wines they sell, especially if they can talk about the food as well. That's when I get excited about. But I'm not into sitting down and reading a 10,000 item wine bible it's disrespectful to your date your friends your colleagues your client if you're going to have a wine list like that look at it online in advance and pick something out in advance at least to start with but ask for help i like that tip good information yeah i do too yeah ball or move i'd like this bottle waiting at my table when I <laughs> call it ahead of time and i do that you're allowed <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah I, you I, should I, be I, allowed <laughs> I got to say, if the three of us are going to ask for help when we go somewhere, then everyone should have permission. Yes. Guys, it is not a sign of ignorance to ask for directions. I ask for advice at retail shops all the time. If there are things that I, I know all the regions, and I know a lot of producers, but you know, I might not have had this particular thing from this particular very specific place. So I'm always like, yeah, I'm looking for this kind of a wine. What do you got? Like, tell me what your favorite, I don't know, was it when I was in Champagne a couple weeks ago and I went into a, a wine shop and I wanted to bring something special home for one of my colleagues and I was like, I need XYZ. What's your favorite that you have on the shelf? And I love doing that because it makes them feel like, yes, I'm a professional, but I recognize that you are too. And so I'm going to take seriously the advice that you give me. I really think that that kind of Respect for our colleagues is a is an important part of the relationship as well. Agreed. And and we can't know every producer. And even if we know every producer, we don't know the latest vintage, perhaps. It's constant exploration. Yep. And it's always changing. And there's always something new. And that's one of the things that I always find so exciting about wine is you don't know everything. You can't know everything. So we work together to get the best possible experience for everybody. Yeah. I wanted to just hear a little bit about how you go about choosing your instructors for your classes, because it does sound like from looking through your website and who you have teaching, you've got pretty high standards for the people that you will let be your instructors at your school. Yeah. And it, it is complicated because I, when I ran the sommelier school formerly, every instructor had to be a master sommelier. And that was the main thing. And then I assessed how they taught. For us, because we're all relevant credentials, you're an MS, an MW, whatever, there aren't that many classes that you can actually teach. So we've had people, a uh, great example, uh, left us uh, about a year ago now for another opportunity, another part of the country. But Mark Giadu was in the WSET diploma program and near the end of it. And he, he also was an advanced sommelier stuttering for the master sommelier. And while he was with us, he ended up passing MS diploma, I'm sorry, uh, WSET diploma. Then so he could teach more programs, he passed French wine scholar, Italian wine scholar, Spanish wine scholar, 
and California wine appellation specialist. And then he moved on and then he passed the MS. And, you know, he is just constantly working at more credentials. So any of our instructors have to have the credential they're teaching towards because how else are they helping the students? But we encourage them and support them financially. If you want to teach more, pass more stuff. But we're also looking at their communication skills, their demeanor. We have every potential instructor not only have an interview with me, but then they do a demo lecture for me and my partner. And we give every potential instructor the same slide deck and very similar wines to do a 15-minute presentation and lead us on a tasting of two wines. And we record these sections. We have them do it in the hybrid Zoom studio so we can look back at the recordings if we're debating whether they were good enough. Yeah, it's a challenging process. And we're always looking for diversity because we want every student to feel comfortable coming here. But it's the number one is credentials, and communication skills. Yeah, you can know a lot about wine, but not be a particularly good teacher. So, you know, that is always something to, I think, look for when you're when you're looking at a wine school, like how good are the actual teachers? Yeah, there are brilliant, highly credentialed wine people who are craptastic teachers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just briefly, I want to follow up. Kim mentioned like knowing everything in the wine world. David, recently there was like a, an article that was written about someone said something, did I waste my money on all these wine certifications? Did you happen uh-huh. to catch that. I'm just curious what you think about people who go for certifications versus people who are in the industry who just feel like I've been in it for so long, I figure that's better education. Do you feel like the longevity of someone in the industry, that education is just as valuable? So I've read about a dozen credential bashing articles, blogs, posts, and I don't believe that credentials are required for everyone. I think most people benefit from getting credentials for multiple reasons. One, to challenge themselves and improve as professionals and be more confident in they have confirmed that they were right, that they knew this, or they've expanded what they know. They have more knowledge, more educational experience. Two, they've got something on paper. They've got a credential that makes them more marketable on their resume. It's nice to have a backup plan. You never know if the business you're in is going to go out of business and you're going to have to look for a job. So being marketable. Now, if you have been the U.S. importer for wines from Bordeaux for the last 30 years, do you need to go take a Bordeaux class? Probably not. But does that mean you know all wine? Does that mean you know all French wine? You're a winemaker in Napa Valley and you've been making wine for 20, 30 years. Does that mean you know Santa Barbara really well? No. So I think there are a lot of people who think that experience matters more than the credentials. I think it's equal. I think we've got to look at credentials and book classroom learning as one thing. Experience on the job, whether that's restaurants, winemaking, import, export, writing, whatever, experience with it. And the third piece I'd say is travel, getting your boots on the ground in wine regions. So I think all three are important and we shouldn't be disrespecting any of those segments. And someone who doesn't need any credentials and their career is going great, good on them, good for them. Most of us need a little help. Great, thank you. 
I love that answer. Yeah. It kind of brings it all together and different things are important to different people. But yeah, that kind of ties it up in a nice little bow. Absolutely. I, I'm working here in the Christmas wrap <laughs> department. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate your time, David. Thank you very much for everything. It was an yeah. honor to have you yeah, on the show great today. To have you on. Thank you. Would I have just like a, a minute or two to talk about just some of the recent things we've done and some oh, of the- please. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. I just got to say, I survived the last two weeks and just wanted to give a glimpse into why they were so hard yet rewarding to us. We did our seventh event with Wine Australia, and this was specifically a diversity of wines of Victoria, Australia. And we had a hundred people for this event, 70 online, 30 in the room with a 11 wines. Yes, that means we made 70. We rebottled 700 wines. Oof. That was a couple of days before Cirque du Soleil's cast came in for a private session. And so that was going on. And sorry, while Wine Victoria was going on, we also had another 79 person class at the same time, which was 30 people in one room, 40 people online. Later in the week, we had a dining in the dark, which was a three course table served, actually, sorry, four course served meal to the entrepreneurs organization and wines with every course. Uh, so pairing involved, but they um, put on blackout goggles basically at the second course. So we did it all them in the dark, but us able to see that was challenging with a class in the other room yeah. coming up into the next week or so. We've got a private champagne client, one-on-one -on -one training that wants eight hours of training going deep, deep, deep into champagne without slides they just want to know everything about tasting wine and figuring out why they like what they like. Wow. Um, so that is custom curation of wines and material. Starting off with uh, becoming an ambassador for Grandes Pagos de España, running off on a fun trip, death march to see every region of Spain, but then coming back and doing those Grandes Pagos de España programs. We're doing our tasting room wine sales and service in San Luis Obispo in a couple of weeks. And that is a joint venture between Slow Coast Wines, Paso Robles Wines, and Santa Barbara Wines. So we're doing it down there in Edna Valley, going back to them a couple weeks later in Paso for Paso Best, which is business excellence service training that this will be our third year in a row doing. Next week, I will be one of the keynotes at World of Pinot Noir doing the Grand Cruise of California. And then we're leading a cruise, which is five countries in 12 days. And I'm organizing a bunch of onshore and onboard Board, seminars, tastings, excursions. We're just so busy. We uh, we don't know which way is up. Mm. That's amazing. And yeah, I hope absolutely. the listeners that can find all that on David's website, SanFranciscoWineSchool.com. And I don't know how you find time to sleep or drink wine, David, with all mm. going on in your world. Yes, I do need more bubbles in my life, though, I will say. But, uh, Don't we all? Well, thank you again, David. An honor to have you on the show. Thanks so much, uh, Mark and Kim. It's is great chatting with you and uh, love to see you in, in uh, the New England states or in San Francisco or Spain or wherever we might cross paths again. Hopefully Indeed. Clink glasses next time. Thanks. 
thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, with our special guest, David Glancy from the San Francisco Wine School. You can find more information about him and his programs at SanFranciscoWineSchool.com, social media at San Francisco Wine School. And as always, you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio. You can find more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. More information about myself and my classes at commonwealthwineschool.com. And we look forward to speaking with you again at our next show. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.